Amen. Ryan, Sarah, Daniels, are you guys here today? Over in the nursery. Okay, hopefully that's what the case is. But uh, new parents, new child, right? New struggles. Check this out. Okay, just fill in the blank, okay? Uh, this, as apparently the story goes, uh, Ryan or whoever, he says, you know, as far as ham sandwiches go, okay, no, notice this pig, it's not chicken, okay? As far as ham sandwiches go, this was perfection, man. He said it had this thick slab of ham and it, on this fresh bun, crisp lettuce, plenty of expensive light brown gourmet mustard, that's right. And the corners of my mouth ached in anticipation and, and as I carried it to the picnic table in our backyard. Well, as I picked the sandwich up with both hands, I'm ready to take a bite. I, I was stopped by my wife who suddenly appeared at my side and said, hey, can you hold the baby while I get my sandwich? So naturally, I took my son and I balanced him between my left elbow and shoulder there. And I, I was reaching again for the ham sandwich of perfection I just made. And I noticed this, a, a streak of mustard there was on my finger. And since I had no napkin and since I love mustard, I licked it off. The only problem was it was not mustard. He said, that's right, no man ever put a baby down faster than I did that day. In fact, it was the first time and only time in my life that I sprinted around the whole house with my thumb protruding from my face. In fact, I took a washcloth in each hand and I did a sort of rapid fire shoeshine boy routine on my tongue, okay? And that's when my wife chimed in to encourage me, well, now you know why they call that mustard poop on. (laughs) That's just gross. That's just gross. But give it up for Ryan and Sarah. You know, new, new parents, you learn these lessons. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen to the best you or whoever it was. Uh, but let's go break for lunch. Are you kidding after that one? But uh, anyway, but seriously, uh, how many guys would say, whoever that was, Ryan or whatever, I'm just guessing, okay, uh, that their relationship with their child at that point left a kind of a bad taste in their mouth. Can we agree on that one? I think that's the consensus there. But, uh, but believe it or not, Ryan's not the only one that, that uh, their child is leaving a bad taste in their mouth. And can anybody else guess who else is? It's God the Father, okay? And that's when his children walk around in life acting like they got this thing called practical amnesia, right? You talk about leaving a bad taste in God's mouth, if you will. What are we doing? We say we know who we are as the church, but half time with our lips and our lives, we're giving a different impression. We're walking around like we don't even know who we are as the church, okay? As we've been seeing in our study, it's not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That could very well keep somebody from coming to Christ. It's a horrible, rotten witness uh, to the lost, okay? So to avoid this atrocity of you and I as Christians living like this, we got this practical amnesia thing, not knowing who we are, we're gonna continue our study on, in the word of God, on the people of God, you and I, the character of the church. Now, we've already seen, if you've been tracking with this in the study, that we've seen the first thing we need to know about the church, biblically, if we're going to get rid of this practical amnesia thing, is the church is the body of Christ. We're not a building, we're his body, amen? Okay, the second thing we saw is the church is a body of one. Then we're a body of hope, a body of joy, a body of love, a body of peace, a body of strangers. Turn to somebody and say, man, you're strange. That feels good, doesn't it? You're strange. No, we're supposed to be strangers. We're not supposed to be like this world. We're supposed to be strangers in this world. And then last time, if you recall, before we interrupted our study with our losing our first love study, uh, the eighth thing we saw we left off was we are to be a body of disciples. Remember what disciples was? Mathetes in the Greek where we get the word, I believe, mathematics, disciplined learner. You know, like math, you don't just make up the rules. I think two plus two equals five. Yeah, whatever, you'll get an F every time on the test. Okay, no, it's a disciplined learner. That's what the scripture says. And unfortunately, we saw the trend in the American church today is we're not a bunch of disciples. We're not a bunch of disciplined learners of Christ. Uh, We're learning stuff, all right. We're being discipled, all right. But it's anything and everything but Jesus Christ. 
is the crazy unfortunate trend in the church today. And that's because we saw we study trivial things instead of the truth. We study flippantly instead of consistently. And we study for personal gain instead of godly gain. And it isn't just folks, you need to understand in every one of these cases, it's a horrible side effect. It doesn't just affect us. It's not just, oh, well, hey, I'm just not being a disciple of Christ. No, what you're doing when you're so disinterested in studying the word of God, the Bible, whatever, the lost is watching. And if you could give a rip about the Bible, what's the message we're sending? Well, apparently there's nothing in there for me. We need to get back to being disciples of Jesus Christ. There's no more important book on the planet than the word of God. We need to get back to that. But that's not all. The ninth thing we need to know about the church, if we're going to stop acting like we've got practical amnesia, the Bible also says the church is to be a body of what? Servants. Ask not what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. Did you know that's what we're called to be? But I didn't make up the rules. God did. Open your Bibles to our opening text. Matthew 20. Matthew 20 is our opening text here. Verses 20 through 28. Once again, we're hitting the red letters. We all know what that means. Jesus is speaking. All of God's word, of course, is from him, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but Jesus is, once again, telling us how to be a great Christian. How many guys, I mean, we're, we're again, we're past the New Year's resolution. We did a series on that. But how many guys I would at least think, maybe even today, hopefully you woke up and said, you know what, I want to do something great for God. You know what, I, I want to be a great Christian. You know what, when I take my last breath here, I want to be a great Christian for Jesus Christ. Anybody raise your hand? All right, those of you who didn't raise your hand, either your mannequin's dead or praise God you're here, we're going to help you out today, right? Nah, right? Well, Jesus lays it on the line, and this is not some secret hidden language that only a secret Bible code with a high-density computer can figure out. It's very obvious. You want to be a great Christian, great follower of Christ? Here's what you do, all right? Let's take a look at what he says. Verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. And so Jesus said, what is it you want? And she said, hey, grant that one of these two sons of mine may see it at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, hey, man, you don't know what you're asking. I mean, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they answered, we can. And Jesus said, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, you will indeed drink from my cup. But as far as sitting at my right or left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom the Father has been prepared by my Father. Now, when the 10, the rest of the disciples heard about this, what did this do? This caused division. Right, they heard about. It. They were indignant with the two brothers, right? And, and so Jesus called them all together and says this, "Hey, listen, guys, you know the rulers of the Gentiles what? Lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Listen, instead, here's your marching orders. Whoever wants to become great among you must be financially secure. Now, whoever wants to become great among you must have as many people underneath your feet. You've got to climb that corporate route. You've got to be successful and famous if you're going to be. Now, what's he say? You want to become great? You want to be a great Christian? What do you do? You must. Okay, it's imperative. Be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Well, why? Because Jesus always leads the way by example. Because just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. 
if you can. But basically, again, what we see here is the disciples apparently didn't have a clue what made it for a successful disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? In fact, their cluelessness, and they were thinking worldly in, in their mindset, uh, it was causing division. And so Jesus, in essence here, he's setting them straight, and he corrects them and tells them that a so-called, to use the term, a super-duper Christian is not one who has a high position with lots of people serving them. No, he said a super-duper Christian was one who served lots of people just like him. And so this is basic truth. Do we have to go into the Greek Anything? Do we have to go into something? Well, let's pause and reflect because this is a very difficult passage. No, this is common sense. I mean, surely we, the church, know this is basic Christianity. Christians, man, we are to be a body of servants, just like Jesus. In fact, everybody that comes across us should be able to say this. Look at those people. They have got to be, the proof's in the pudding. They have got to be followers of Christ. They're, they're, look at them, they're, they're constantly serving others. They're doing what it takes. They're sacrificing their lives all in the name of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus. Wow, that's what they say about us, right? No, you look at the church today, folks, it doesn't look like we're doing all we can to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. It looks like we're doing all we can to ensure that other people serve us no matter the price. In fact, it's even come that mindset into the church. And then it's, that's bad enough. If you want to come with this mindset that the church is here to serve you, mm-mm. But the churches today, have you noticed? They're actually catering people's selfish whims. You better do it my way. Who cares about the Bible? I'm here for convenience. I want, I want you to preach what I want to preach. I want you to sing what I want to preach. It's all about me. And then here comes the threat. And if you don't do what I want, because you're here to serve me, I'm out of here. See ya. But churches today aren't doing that. And they've turned the church service, the whole operation, into a selfish, self-centered scenario. We've seen this video before, but tell me if this is not going on across America today. Let's take a look at this. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Yeah. How many times do you say that? That video would be funny if it weren't so true. That's why we're laughing about it, okay? And so why in the world, my question is, how did the church turn into this? We're supposed to serve other people. We're here to serve. Jesus said that. I'm not making this up. We're supposed to have his same mindset. It's not about us. It's not about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And even when we come to church services, we're here to learn about him. We're here to serve other peoples in his name. How did it turn into that? 
Well, Sandy, thanks for asking. It works well with my notes. So there's a couple of reasons why. And the first one is this. Uh, the reason why we are no longer servants like Jesus Christ is because we think serving is to be done to us. We think serving is done to us. And that's the mandate. But the, Shocker, you're going to see a thread. That's not what the Bible says. Constant theme here needs to be corrected by the word of God. John 13, 12 through 17. When he had finished washing Jesus, of course, washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place, and he said to the disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? Okay. And then he asked him, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Do you realize what Lord is? Kurios in the Greek. It means master. Jesus is the master of of everything. And dare I use the 80s term, the master of the universe. He really is. Okay. So he's not just our teacher. He is God. He's the master of everything, right? And he says, so just now that I, your Lord, master and teacher have washed your feet, you also what? Should wash one another's feet. And I've what? Once again, same thing in Matthew. Now we see here, I have set an example that you should do. Notice it's an imperative. Do, it's an action term. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be what? You're going to be tortured. You're going to be some sort of a small person. You're going to be looked down upon society. You're going to be an absolute failure if you, you're going to be blessed if you do them. Again, do them. You'll be blessed. Makarios in the Greek means spiritually prosperous. Do you want to be spiritually prosperous? Then do what he says to do is what he says, okay? So Jesus said, listen, if you want to really, in essence, show other people that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you're following in his footsteps. He's leading the way by example. That In essence, Jesus really is your master. Then what are you going to do? Once again, the same theme. You're going to do what the master did. You're going to spend your time, the modus of your operandus of every day when you get out of bed, as soon as the feet hit the floor, even before that, is I'm here to serve, just like Jesus. It's not about me. I'm a servant just like Jesus. You're going to do the same thing that the master did. Listen, even if it means stooping down, serving others, and listen, washing their gnarly old feet. Now, that sounds kind of freaky. Okay, but don't miss the principle. Right, back in the day, they didn't have paved roads like what we have today. Oh, and by the way, I know this might be a surprise for some younger folks. They didn't have things called shoes like Nike and Adidas to cover your feet. Right? So when you walked around, they were kind of dirty. And these were fishermen. These were fishermen, man, and, and, and walking around. And I don't know. Let me just give you a good visual today. Right, I'm not pointing fingers, but I, I guarantee you each one of us has had a relative like this, Right? Let's say it's your grandfather, right? Have you ever seen their toes? Oh. You know where I'm going. Especially that big toe. And that thing in that so-called toenail, that ain't a toenail. That thing is huge. You need a chainsaw to cut that nail off. It's not even the normal color anymore, right? It looks at you and you're waiting for it to talk and go, <laughs> or something, or just freaky. So these, these aren't just like people that have, hey, you've been wearing socks all day, let me wash your feet. These are some gnarly. And Jesus, the master of the universe, stoops down and he washes those gnarly. Do you understand what's going on here? This is God washing these gnarly, grandpa-looking freaky feet. Okay, if you will. Dirty, gross. 
right, let's close in prayer. No, okay. But seriously, right? So that's what he says. He says, so, so, so what do you do? Why, why do we need to have that same mentality? Didn't say it was going to be easy. Didn't say it wasn't going to be kind of icky sometimes. Doing what God's called us to do. But what's he say? You will be blessed. You'll be blessed if you do that. Not tortured, okay? And so the point is, we, we say we know that, but you look at what we're doing, and that's not what we're doing. Okay, we don't think that we need to live a life serving others. We really think that we need to live a life of having other people serve us, and the more the better. That shows how much of a success you are. Now, where did that come from? Ain't coming from God. That's not coming from the Bible. That's coming from this wicked world system. This wicked world system, folks, is now dictating the mandates of the church today, just like that me church thing. But even the mentality about servanthood has been twisted because we're listening to our culture. Our culture today scoffs at the idea of living a life of a servant, right? They they don't say that that's a blessed life. They say that's a rotten life. You are a failure. You're a loser. But that's not what Jesus said, okay? They say a successful life is one who's got enough money to do nothing with their life and then have everybody serve them at their every whim. I mean, haven't you seen those people in Hollywood? Man, they got people to drive them around and serve them this and take them here and do that and all that stuff. And and surely that success was... How's their lives working out? Empty, bankrupt. How many different relationships you got now? Addicted, miserable, depressed, dark. I don't think it's working. You know why? Because that's not what God says. But yet we're gonna emulate that? We need to get back to the word of God. And the reason why is because it protects us from being disobedient Christians. Did you realize in our text here, both texts so far, I got more to go. He says the action word, there's a verb, it's called do, okay? Do, you need to do this. Okay, when you don't do what God says to do, what state are you in? You are in a disobedient state. Because he says, obey me, do this. He even throws the icing on the cake. Oh, you'll be blessed if you do, but you don't do. And again, it's not just we're being disobedient. It's a rotten witness. Because in essence, scripturally, we are public servants to the world. That's what Jesus did, right? Now, let's break it down to the vernacular. Talk about a witness. It doesn't just affect our walk with Christ. People are watching us. They know that Christians are supposed to be like, Christian means follower of Christ. You do what Jesus, Jesus served. He said to serve, so you should serve. But when you don't, what kind of message are you sending? Let's take a look at some other public servants in the arena that our taxpayer dollars pay for. And can you imagine this behavior? Can you imagine you got a fire at your house, you call the public service, the fire department, and you ask them to come help out, put out a fire, and they shout back, hey, go get your own garden hose. What's the matter? Don't you got water at your own house? Can you imagine if they really said that? Hey, you know, you're at a restaurant. They got people called waitresses and servers, Right? And you, you, you say, hey, waiter, waitress, could, could you come here and uh, place an order? And they actually yell back, who do you think you are? Yeah, I am. I mean, you, 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 and you want some food, you go back there and you tell the cook yourself, I'm not your slave. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, listen, if you just got robbed and you flagged down a policeman, another public servant, and you flagged him down and they literally come up to you and say, so what? What do you bother me for, man? I mean, what, what's going on here? I mean, can't you see? I'm busy. I got a life to live. Here's one. Can you imagine a politician, man, under a system of government that's of the people, by the people, for the people, and they refuse to listen to do what the people put them in office to do? Can you? 
Oh, that's already being done. Let's skip over that. Yeah, but stick with the other three, okay? <laughs> but in all those cases, what's going on there? Our taxpayer dollars are paying these public servants to do what they're put in that position to do. And if a policeman or a fireman or a waiter or waitress, common sense, if they actually, actually re- when, when request to provide service, actually responded like that, what would we do? We would go crazy. We get upset. That's a, that's a violation. Are you kidding me? I, we're paying you to do that. Listen, God calls us to be public servants of this world. You want to talk about payment, Christian? Right there. He died on the cross for you. He secured heaven for you. What more has he got to do? And if you were to come back, well, I ain't got time for this. I got a life to live. I got a busy schedule. What's the matter? Don't you know how to take care of yourself? Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? Your slave? And God's watching this. But can I tell you something? The world's watching too. And if we could readily admit just like that, man, that's crazy, those public servants. Can you imagine if they react? And then we do the same. What kind of message are we sending the lost? It's not good. Not being who we're called to be in this essence, servants of Jesus Christ affects not just us, but the lost. The second reason why we're no longer servants is because we think servant is an option for us. Once again, you might want to read the Bible. Great concept. I highly recommend it. That's not what God says. Again, Jesus speaking, this time Matthew 25, 15 through 18, 26, 28, and 30. Here's what he says. The parable of talents. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Then the man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more. Awesome. So also the one with two talents, he gained two more. So they did something with their talents, right? But the man, the third option here, who had received one talent, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Well, the master replies, you incredible guy. You're amazing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm sorry, wrong translation. What's he say to this third option here? This is Jesus speaking here, by the way. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. In fact, he didn't just call him out for what he really was. In his character, he said, "Uh uh-oh, Take that talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents and throw this worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What in the world is that place? That is hell. (gasps) So here's a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, and they lost their salvation because it's all based on works and they went to hell. Wrong. That's a lie from the pit of hell. How many times do we have to go through this scripturally? When you're a true born again Christian, praise God, it is not of works lest anyone should boast. It is by grace through faith. The scripture is very clear, okay? We are not saved by our works, nor do we maintain our salvation by our works. But what Jesus is doing is giving the proverbial acid test. Now, did you know that there were people, even in Jesus' midst, the greatest example is Judas, and there's people even in the midst of the church today. They go to church services, but that doesn't make them Christians. So there's people who profess all day long, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian. And Jesus gives us one of many scriptural, if you do the study, evidences that there's an acid test. And basically, in essence, what he's saying here, if somebody professes to be my follower and basically, in essence, absolutely does nothing, you didn't lose your salvation, what? You never had in the first place. That's why you went to hell. Are we clear on that? Okay, and, and again, I'm not the one that's bringing up this dichotomy. Jesus brings up an obvious dichotomy. It's an acid test. You got good followers of Christ. You got a bad follower of Christ, which in essence is a phony follower of Christ. That's why it's bad. It's not a good scenario. 
And the first one, basically, I love how he breaks it down. Notice it wasn't the exact same number. Some five, some two, right? And if you notice that, don't play the comparison game uh, as a Christian. Well, I just can't do what Pastor Tom does. He's just so anointed, man. He's got all these gifts, and I, I just don't want to know how to stack chairs. Well, praise God you can stack chairs. The, the, the point is who's got what gift, whatever. It's just whatever he's giving you, use it for him. You got it? The point is, when you use it for him, what's he going to do? He'll use you, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. What's 10 say? You're not saved of works, but he saves you to do good works in advance for those that are prepared for him. Do you understand? But when you're using the gifts he gave you, he's going to bear fruit. Some more, some less. But the point is, don't get hung up on the numbers or the amount. It's what he's given you be responsible with. But he says the bad one is nothing really. Every single week, you sit there and you do nothing? Now, I don't know your heart, but that ain't good. But we do know the scripture talks about those who profess, but they don't possess. And the scripture gives us acid tests. Are you really saved? I mean, think about that. How, after all he's done, we serve, Paul says Christ's love compels us. Why do we do what we do as Christians? Not because we have to. Not even just because today, man, I feel really convicted. It's because we love him. Why do we want to be a part of doing good works for him that he's prepared in advance for us to do? Who wouldn't want to? If somebody rescues you from certain Death and doom and destruction. What's the normal natural response? Can I wash your car? Can you at least take you out to eat? It ain't going to be KFC either because I really appreciate it. It's going to be a nice steak place. It's just common sense. How much more than one saved us from eternal damnation and hell? Christ's love compels us. But really every week you're just going to sit there and nope, I'm just going to dig a hole and do nothing. But don't worry. I'm a faithful servant. Really? Well, let's take a faithful test real quick, and let's kind of put this in another vernacular, right? Let's, let's take, what, what really, what, what qualifies something as faithful? Hey, if your car started one out of three times, would you consider that car faithful? I used to get a little try. And, no, no, no. If you, the paper boy skipped Mondays and Thursdays, I mean, would that even be missed? You know, <laughs> you know, once in a while. Hey, if you don't show up at work, you know, two or three times a month, would your boss say, man, that's a faithful employee. I got there, by cracky, they're getting a raise next week. Uh, hey, if your refrigerator quit a day now and then, would you excuse and say, oh, hey, at least it works most of the time. No. If your water heater greets you with cold water one or two mornings a week uh, while you're in the shower, is that a faithful water heater? Man, I need to get another model just like that. That's just incredible. And hey, if you miss a couple mortgage payments in a year's time, would you actually go to the bank and say, hey, oh, hey, 10 out of 12 ain't bad. What are you worried about? Are you kidding me? Right? And so here's the point. If you miss worship services and attend meetings only often enough to show that you're interested, but you never get involved, i.e. you never serve at nothing ever. Is that faithful? And again, I don't know that proverbial line. How far can you push it? And I I get it. As Christians, myself included, we can get distracted. We can be in what I call spiritual ditches for a season. You know, we we can stop serving Christ, unfortunately. Maybe we're disgruntled or, or had a bad experience, which I'm not condoning, by the way. 
And you need to get to the point where you say, I refuse to let anyone dictate my walk or service to Jesus Christ. I'm gonna keep serving him. But anyway, I understand it happens. But how far do you push it and you literally never serve Jesus Christ and you're in that category where Jesus said, and you cast him out into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How far can you go? And it really just shows that, you know what? You can profess all you want, but you ain't a Christian. I don't know. My point is, if you love them, it might be five, it might be two, it might only be one, but there's something. Somewhere inside, there's a desire. Can I do something for you, Jesus? Please, something. Man, I remember when I first got saved. Nine months after I got saved was my first opportunity to serve, right? And it wasn't really much, but I, I felt like I was born again again. This is what you mean I get to do something for God and on top of being saved from hell? This is amazing. I think that's the normal response when you're involved with the Holy Spirit of God, which happens at salvation. You want to serve him. You want to study the Bible. You want to pray. You want to witness. You want to serve him. But if you don't care, don't give a rip, man, be careful. Be careful. The third and final reason why is we think serving is made for us. Again, right back down to it's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. But once again, that's not what the Bible says. Let's take a look here. Acts chapter 20, verse 34 through 35. You yourselves know that Paul's speaking here. And he's going to quote Jesus, right? He says, you know yourselves that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you, again, Paul leads by way of example. Why? Because Jesus is our example. We, as leadership, lead by example. But all Christians, he says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must, it's an imperative, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself that said what? It is more tortured to give than it is to receive. Your life is going to be an absolute failure if you go beneath yourself and give your life away. For no, What's he say? There's that word again. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And dare I say, contextually, it's not just talking about money. It's your life. Give your life away in service to Christ. It's more blessed. Spiritually prosperous. Be great. Awesome. Paul, again, reiterates Jesus' words there. And basically, he's saying, listen, uh, we need to get busy every day living for God. You want a blessed life? You want to turn out to be a a great Christian? And then then you apply your skills, your talents, your service to God. But but here's where I think think a lot of the American church is today, my personal opinion. You see, even when we realize that serving is not done to us, we'll acknowledge that. Of course not. It's not about us. We're here to serve Jesus. And we'll even get to the point as Christians, serving is not an option for us. That's something we should normally do. We'll even get that. But what I've noticed is this horrible trend. Okay, we'll start using those gifts that God gave us. But we'll actually twist them and only use them for our own benefit. Now let me give you a couple real life examples of how this is unfortunately transpired out. Again, just like Jesus gave you the the good example and the bad example, I'm going to do the same thing. And both of these are true stories. But you tell me how they use their gifts for God. One guy says this, I had a young student at one time and I took him with me on a missions trip to Haiti. 
And I took him to a medical center in the northern part of that country there, and I showed him a hospital. There was about 700 people. They lined up that morning for medical care. The problem was there was only one doctor and two nurses, and they could only take care of 100 people. Listen, the other 600 had to be turned away. And when my student saw that, he says, Doc, I'm going to go back. I'm going to complete my education. I'm going to become a doctor, and I'm going to come back here, and I'm going to serve these people. That's my dream. That's the vision that God's given me to serve him. He said, well, I met him in New York last year, and he's a doctor, all right. He completed his education, but he's not taking care of people in Haiti. You know what he's doing? Cosmetic surgery on women. He said, please, no, I'm not saying that sometimes it's not necessary for certain reasons. He says, but what he's doing is a sheer absurdity. You see, there's a lot of money to be made in doing cosmetic surgery for women, much more than saving lives in Haiti. And so a dream was vanquished, a vision, a service for God was obliterated. Because you knew you needed to serve, you knew you were gifted to serve, but you were so selfish, it was only for you. Wow. Now he gives another example, okay, of another Christian, God-given gifts. And uh, let's see how well he did. He said, I had another student. He graduated the top of his class. He went to Harvard Law School and graduated again from Harvard top of the class. As a young, handsome, brilliant, articulate African-American man, do you have any idea of what a top graduate of Harvard Law School is able to earn with a firm right out of school? Quarter million dollars? Easily. Easily. You know what he's doing today? He is living in a one-room flat in Montgomery, Alabama. And every morning he gets up and he goes down to the jailhouse and he defends the men and women on death row for free. Why? He said, because he said, it's got nothing to do with the death penalty. It's got to do with this. He said, we have two kinds of law in this country. One kind of law is for the rich and the powerful. Another kind of law is for the poor and the oppressed. He says, we don't put to death criminals in America. We put poor people to death in America. Why? Because the poor have no one to speak for them. And then he paused, except in Montgomery, Alabama. He said, because in Montgomery, Alabama, I speak for the poor and I'm good. And he says, you don't know how good you are. A young man who would not sell out to the system. A young man who had a vision and a dream of serving God, that God had called him to do something significant with his life. And he was doing How would you rate that first one? Scale to zero to 10. How would you rate the second one? Wow. God, Ephesians 2.10, read 10. He's prepared good works in advance for us to do. Every Christian, God wants to use you, myself included, to do fantastic things you can't even dream. Isn't that exciting? It's like I see on the cake. If all there was to getting saved was, I'm not going to hell. Woo-hoo. Keeps a smile on my face. But then he says, I want to use you. In fact, I'll give you the abilities to do something splendid. Who wouldn't jump at that? Two servants, two real Christian scenarios. Put right now in your walk with Jesus Christ, in there. Put yourself in there. Pull out the scale. How are you doing right now? Not tomorrow. Not what you pledged to do. How's your track record? Where are you at? And if it ain't a 10 like that guy, get right with God today and get back on track. Amen?
not serving other people like Jesus sometimes can be a matter of life and death. Another true story. One day a mother received a phone call from her son. He'd been away for a long time. He was serving in Vietnam. And after the pleasant gestures were over and the son, he asked his mom on the phone, he says, Mom, can, uh, can, uh, I can come home in a couple weeks, but I was, wondering, I was wondering if I could bring a friend with me. And so the mother says, well, well, sure, son, you can bring a friend. But the son continued, well, you, you see, Mom, there's something you need to know, Mom. You, you see, my friend was hurt pretty bad during the war, and he's going to need a little bit of care. And you see, Mom, he only has one eye and, he, and, and one arm and, and one leg. And his mom, she hesitated a bit, but... She replied, well, I guess it would be okay for a couple weeks or so. But the son, he pressed one more time. He says, Mom, Mom, it would not be for just a few weeks. It would be forever. You see, Mom, he's got no family. He's got nobody to take care of him. And at this, his mother explained that this would seriously disrupt their life and it wouldn't be very convenient with their lifestyle and all and decides what would people think. And so the son paused for a moment and simply said, Mom, okay, I get it, Mom. But Mom, just, just know that I love you very much. And it just so happened that two weeks later, the mother got another phone call, only this one was to inform her that her son had jumped out of a hospital window and killed himself. And so this mother, confused and bewildered in a matter of days, found herself having to say goodbye to her son at a funeral service instead of welcoming him back home. And as hard as that was, I could not believe this. This is a true story. As hard as that was, nothing could have prepared her for what she was about to encounter. You see, she approached the casket to say goodbye. She saw that her son had only one eye one arm, and one leg. And she cried out in utter despair. She realized that it was her son who was in need of a friend, somebody to love them and serve him. But now it's too late. Christian, we do not live in an isolated bubble. And people are responsible for their own behavior. but we need to be the best possible servants and examples of Jesus Christ as we can. Because sometimes there's dire consequences. We've got to take this serious. And that's why throughout this study, you hear me say it all the time. If we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, then maybe it's time you get out of the church. What we say, what we do affects people's eternal destinies. This is not a game. And it is high time that we get a new vision for servanthood and put on the biblical glasses and get busy doing a fantastic ministry one person at a time, one opportunity at a time. Every day they're there. It's just, do we have the eyesight to see it? Like this guy, Lauren. We'll close in prayer after this. Kid, every time I'm pulling out, he's right there. Man, and someone needs to talk to his parents if they're ever at home. What is up with the traffic today? It's always, every day, this intersection's always crowded. I hate pulling out of here. I need some of these dumb roads. Oh, there's. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm not even here. Right. Great lady. The princess of parking. Sure. Take the spot. Way to be considerate. Oh. 
kidding me? Unbelievable. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's about time. Let's see, what do I want? Uh, yeah, can I add a cookie to that order? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, no problem, only guy in the world. I'm sure you need your cookie. The world, your oyster, and he's serving your cookie. Thanks, Thank sir. you so much. Uh-huh. What can I get for you? Uh, yeah, I'll have a tall decaf macchiato. Yeah, sure, no problem. Three eighty-five. And, uh, it might take a few minutes here. We've got quite a line, obviously, and thanks for your patience. Great. Yeah, <laughs> great. Great for me. Waiting again. Unbelievable. What? What is... What is that? What in the world? Oh, uh, uh. what? What am I supposed to do? How can I? How can I do anything about that? Can I even help with that? I don't. Your copy, sir. Oh. I, I can't. I can't take this anymore. I gotta get out of here. Hey, watch it. Sorry, so Hey, buddy, come here. You get it? Maybe God hasn't called you to be the preacher. Maybe you'll never make it to the Amazon on some incredible tropical missionary trip. But if you put the biblical glasses back on every day, man, there's so many opportunities to serve him, isn't there? Believe it or not, even more than just stacking chairs. As cool as that is. Can I tell you something? That's what Vegas, and that's what the world is waiting to see from us. How do you make a difference in this world? You get busy following the master. And you get up every day saying, I'm here to serve you, Jesus. Open my eyes.
to the opportunities and you do it. That's a blessed life. That's what makes for a great Christian. Let's be those people. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. 
that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay you may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.